Good evening and welcome to Relationship Game Changers. My name is Kim Moore and we welcome you. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us this evening. Uh, we're going to continue to continue to press forward in the things that God has called us to do, namely to speak truth that applies to all of us, truth that transcends our biology, our gender, as, uh, as some like to, to emphasize now, our race, education, economics, political parties, and religious affiliation. We want to talk about those things that apply to all of us all the time, everywhere, and in every situation. I know that sounds like huge but, you know, we serve a huge God, and that is how his truth is. It is everlasting to everlasting. And so the truth is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, from generation to generation. And we believe that when we focus on truth, then we have the best opportunity to, become, to experience unity with each other. Not uniformity, but unity surrounding, around, and in the truth. And so that's what we're committed to here. And again, we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for those that that pray ahead of time and make ministry easy. Um, we appreciate you so very, very much. Um, what I want to talk about tonight, I'll give a brief recap. I kind of want to do a part two because something jumped out at me after last week, and I've been kind of mulling it around since then. But before, that, before I do that, let me just give you a quick uh, synopsis of last week. Remember, we all agreed, all were sensing. I told you about some dreams different people were having, told you about a conversation with my son-in-law, and the, the, the essence of all of these or the, the thing that resonated or the thread through all of these was this sense that something was going to happen, that there was some impending uh, crisis thing that is upon us, that is that is upon us, and that it's going to shift some things. Some things probably have already uh, shifted and are shifting before our nose but and before our eyes, but even in a bigger way, even in a bigger way. And, and so many people are sensing that at this point in time. I also sense that. I can tell you last night, I'll tell you this quick uh, dream I had, I was in this, like, the only way I can describe it is kind of like a state-of-the-art building. And it was state-of-the-art in that it was round but not completely round. It was to it because um, I know it had roundness because I was in my car and I was driving what felt like the inside of the building. But I wasn't going in a complete circle, but it was big enough to where I recognized I was eventually going around. And there were like apartments or living spaces all up above. So maybe it was like an underground parking lot. I'm not really sure. But I got to a point, I was going to visit somebody, and I got lost. I didn't know where they were. I wasn't quite sure the, the number. So I stopped somebody said, hey, and before we could finish the conversation, something big happened. I don't know what it was, but everybody was rushing to this room. But they weren't rushing to the room to stay there. Once they got to this room, people were picking up things. I don't know what they were. And some people were going back and some people were going forward. 
there were some people didn't know what was going on. They just followed people, and then people seemed to be making calculated decisions. And that's kind of where the dream ended. And when I got up this morning, the thought came to me, you can either go back and try and recover what you lost or and forfeit what I'm doing in the future, what, what God has for me in the future, or I can keep going forward to the future and trust God to recover those aspects of, of my past or things that he would have joined me in my future. And it was like, wow, that's that's quite the decision because when you're in the midst of something like that, you know, how do you even make that decision like on the spot? Israel was in that kind of situation as well. And a crisis were coming. Let me remind you of the verse and the seven things. So the verse was Exodus 12 and 12. And it says, and this was their big thing that was about to happen. This was a crisis moment. This was the thing that will alter the trajectory of Israel and change and move them toward their destiny. It says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. And the thing that struck me here, that he was going to strike every firstborn male in the land, both man and animals, and he is doing it as he's executing judgment against the gods of Egypt. So is God's desire to destroy man? I don't think so. What I do think is there are times where God may have asked us to let go of something and we chose to hold on to it, and that very thing brought us low. It destroyed us. It robbed us. It took something from us that God never intended to be taken. So it's not that God desires to destroy mankind. He desires a people for himself, and when he executes judgment on judgments on the gods, those people that are attached to the gods will suffer the judgment as well. Achan knew this to be true because God had judged and condemned Jericho. And and, and God told them, look, don't take anything out of Jericho. Don't take the gold, the silver. Don't take anything out because I've already judged it and I've already condemned it. Achan and his family decided to take some things out of Jericho after it was plundered. And so when they went into the very next battle of AI, you'll recall the story, they got defeated. And... uh they got defeated and lost a lot of people. There were casualties. Guys, pray for me because there's so many distractions right at this moment. It is I am focusing uh, very hard to stay here. But but just just pray in the spirit, and we just thank God for His presence. We thank God for His stability. We thank God that He is the anchor of our soul. We thank God that this is His word, not mine. And so, Father God, we take no credit or blame for what you do with this word, God. It belongs to you. And we ask you to honor your word in our own lives first and in those that you've given us to influence. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And so after they lost the battle in AI, 
uh, Joshua went to the Lord and said, what gives? He told us we were going to win. Look, we're, we got plummeted. And God says, in essence, somebody took something. So he had Joshua called all the tribes together. Then he called all of the heads of tribes. And then he asked. And then, then God revealed Achan to him. And Joshua said, hey, did you take something out of Jericho? And he said, yeah. And it was hidden in their things. And once he acknowledged that, the Bible says, the long story short, or the, the short story to the long version is the earth swallowed them up. Was God trying to swallow up uh, Achan and his family? No. Were Achan and his family holding on to objects that were condemned? Yes. So when judgment was executed, Achan was not spared the judgment. So I just want to make that clear. God's not into destroying mankind. He doesn't, he loves us. And when we see destruction, when, when God allows destruction to take place, and not in every case because Satan causes destruction too, but when God allows it, such as in Genesis when he destroyed mankind except for Noah, please understand that the people that got destroyed were engaging in things that God had condemned. There was mixture among them. There was mixture with Achan. And so he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against the gods of Egypt. And then he talks about the blood being the saving grace, the blood on the houses being the saving grace of that. And what we talked about last week is we said seven things. I believe that as this crisis, chaos, this big thing that's happening uh, comes, I believe God will use it for at least seven things. And here they are. He will use it to free us. He freed Israel through this crisis. Um, he will provide resources. The children of Israel went out of uh, Egypt loaded down with gold and silver and things. Uh, he will use it to remove the mixture from our life and thereby cleanse us of those things that wait. Every sin and weight that does so easy beset us, it will strip us of the unnecessary weight, the things that we deemed important that really aren't important in the grand scheme of things. We just assigned importance to them. And number four, that the crises, what will happen will cause us to return, to want to return to our first love, to cry out for our God. And I believe we saw that in a little bit at 9-11. At one point, so many people returned to church after that catastrophic uh, situation and, and the way it was portrayed, narrated, uh, whether it was internally done, externally done, the response was the same. It drew people back to church. The problem is it didn't keep people in church. When the crisis were over and things went back to normal, so did the people go back to normal. Same with 2020. Crises, people changed a little bit. Now that they were on the, uh, what appears to be on the other side of it, people are returning back to their lifestyles, some not returning and choosing to do new things. But 2020 was a demarcation. 9-11 was a demarcation. It was a pivotal moment. And there are other pivotal moments. Pivotal moments, crises moments always put us in the cross in, in the in the crossroad of having to make a decision about how we will go forward. And I believe that what's happening will help us to return and honor our allegiance to God. And then number five, 
to increase our hunger and desire for God and his word, our appetite for the lamb, that we'll desire meat and not milk. I know we talk about it. Everybody talks about what they want meat, and we're still issuing milk. And so I believe that God will create a hunger and already is a hunger in his people for some of the deeper things of God, to be able to connect dots and see patterns and begin to orient our lives around truth and not simply the events that are taking place. And then number six, this crisis, this event will shift that we're talking about, will enable us to receive the new wine. You know, it's interesting. When you're in a crisis or you get hit real hard, you're more willing to consider things that you did not consider before. You're more willing to consider people that you did not consider before. You're willing, you're in a, when, you're, when you are impacted in an adverse situation, you or a challenging situation, it could be good, but yet challenging, you're most more willing to hang your dignity on a hook and say, God, so let it be. Do what you seem good to me. The best, one of the best examples I have of that is when I was having my daughters, at some point it did not matter who was in the room, who saw what, get the baby out. And so my need for relief, I had less inhibition about who was in the room. We have one task, get this baby out. And so what that does to us, it changes or makes us more open or flexible to things we would not ordinarily consider. And then number seven, but not just the new wine, but that we will become drunk with the Holy Spirit. And while others might think we're nuts, it's the difference between God, us in Christ, the Bible says that we're in him, but Colossians 1.27 says Christ in us is the hope of glory. So God is not simply wanting us to be in him. He is wanting to reveal himself in us. And the challenge with it is we've got stuff in us that prevents the glory of God from manifesting in us in a very tangible way. Um, and so um, and so I believe whatever's coming, it's not intended to destroy us, but it's intended to establish us in the things of God. Having said that, I want to jump back to Exodus and tell you what caught me. And it was like, wow, because I was talking to, to John today and I, and for, for just a little bit, and I was, we were talking about being tired. And I don't know if any of you know what being tired feels like. You've been waiting. You've been holding the tension, and you're tired now. So I want to read Exodus 6. We read this last week, but I want to read it again and pull out something else for us to chew on. Exodus 6, 1 through 9. 6, 1 through 9. And it reads like this, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible if you're trying to follow me. It says, but the Lord replied to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of the strong hand, because of a strong hand, he will let you go. And because of a strong hand, he will drive them from his land. Then God spoke to Moses, telling him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. 
but I was not known to them by my name, the Lord. I also established my covenant with them, the land of Canaan. Pause there for a second. Okay, that land of Canaan, the land they lived in is aliens. So pause there for a second. We know that God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but he did not reveal his name to them. The point I want you to catch here is two things. One, whenever God wants to do something new, he must add new to you. He must add new relationships to you. You cannot take yourself where you've never been. And your destiny requires you to go where you've never been. So God will send people, as one pastor, I've heard several pastors call them destiny helpers. And destiny helpers represent new. Old won't be able to take you into the new. Old wine won't be able to satisfy the need that, is being, that we will be presented with. By example, here's a little tangent. We are in a spiritual war. We all agree. We have all agreed and exhausted the idea that the war is a battle for our mind, that it's played out in our mind. It's a battle for our souls, but it's being played out in the aspect of our soul called our mind. What I want to suggest to you, and what I don't hear people talking about, the battle has shifted. Let me say that again. The battle has shifted. It has shifted from the mind to the emotions. It has shifted from the mind to the emotions. And the, 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 the best way I can explain that in the short run is this. When you're talking to somebody who is emotionally entrenched, dig their heels in their position, and it is emotional to them, you will not be able to get them to reason with you. You won't be able to reason with you. Why? Because there's a spirit involved and there's an emotion involved. And everything flies out the mind except that which supports the emotions and the spirit of the thing. And so the new battleground is the battle for emotions, and that's why we're seeing the films we're seeing. That's why we're seeing this catastrophic things happening, the fires and different things, the brawl in Alabama. All of those things are intended to incite emotion. Why have we moved to emotion? Because we already got the mind of people. What we're trying to capture now, with the, 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 what the enemy is trying to capture now is the emotion. Going back to the scripture, whenever God wants to take the body of Christ somewhere new, he will have to add new voices. The old thing won't take you to the new thing. And the question before us is the question that I had in the dream, and that is this. Will I go with the old thing? Will I go back? and recover what I can, and stand on what I can, which doesn't mean some of the old thing isn't good. There are good things that we have done in times past. But what we've done won't enable us to get where we are. So when I was standing in this room watching the people separate, and this morning God says to me, 
where I believe God says to me, are you going to go and try and recover and hold on to the things behind you or and forfeit what is ahead of you? Or will you pursue what is ahead of you and trust me to hold on and recover what is behind you? That's a very in-your-eyes square question. Will you? I'm asking you because each of you have a destiny. And the question now, today, and will become clearer and clearer, and as the things continue to unravel in the world and implosion happens, I don't know what it's going to look like on a wide scale. We're seeing bits and pieces of it, but I don't know what the wide scale looks like. But the question to you is, your destiny is on the line. Will you try to hold on and recover what was? It's not that it wasn't good. It's not that they weren't good. This isn't about the people or the things. What it's about is God wants to do something new, and he can't take us into new while we're holding on to the past, no matter how good, how great, how much he moved in the past. I'm, sh- I'm going to show you this in Scripture. And so that's my question for you. Your destiny is on the line. What do you do? And so what I'm telling you back to here is anytime God wants to do something new in your life, he must add new to your life. He must add new people. He must add new resources. What did I tell you the seventh thing? He's going to free you. What? And he's going to, well, listen, when you get free of something, it doesn't mean that you don't have access to it. I get out of my car every day. I still have the car. I still own the car. I didn't lose the car because I got out the car. No, the car belongs to me. And I don't have to be in it, and I don't have to drive it. It just is. And so, as I said, when God wants to take you into something new, he must add new. He provides resources, and he removes the mixture. Listen, there are some things that we have taught ad nauseum in the body of Christ. And when we first taught it, it was authentic, it was genuine, it was true. But like man inevitably does, we'll get something And God will move through it, and his anointing will be upon it, but then we commercialize it, and we sell it. And when it goes down that trajectory, God takes his hand off of it. Does it still work? Yep, Saul was king, even though he was dethroned by God. Does it still have a validity? Yep. But God wants to remove the mixture, and he can't remove the mixture while you're holding on to it and while I'm holding on to it. So he sends Moses now, and he says, Moses, they only knew me as God Almighty. But you're going to know me by my name. Not only that, you're going to know me face to face. And that's what I'm challenging you. If God is taking you somewhere new, there's new people, new names. And as we walk, God will add them to us, which is different than the world. We got a ne- we got a network. We got to do this. We got to take this business. No, let me read on before I get stuck here too long. He said, "I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land they lived in as aliens. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of Israel of the Israelites." whom the Egyptians are forcing to work as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, remember, last week I told you five reasons that I believe God was going to do those seven things. And the five reasons I gave you came right from here, beginning at verse 6. Therefore, 
Tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from fort of the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. He's referring to Exodus 12. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to release you through great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am, your, I am the Lord. See, one of the things that's supposed to happen in all of this is we're supposed to have a greater awareness of the Lord, not outside of us, but on the inside of us, because he no longer dwells in temples made with hands, but he inhabits his people, those that are his true disciples, seeking and pursuing him. I will bring you out to the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This next verse is what caught me. Verse 9 says, Moses told this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their broken spirit and hard labor. Now, typically, now, now before we go, let's go see why they might, what might have contributed them not listening. So it says here in chapter 5, we have to just go back. Remember, we're contextual people. So we, to get an understanding why they wouldn't listen or why they didn't want to listen or why they couldn't listen to Moses at that time, ordinarily without the context, you're like, wow, they're rebellious. And the Israelites were rebellious. But I want you to consider that their response to Moses was on the heels. In chapter 5, it begins like this. Later, Moses and Aaron went in, in, in and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh responded, who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. They answered, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three-day trip <laughs> into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, or else he may strike us with a plague or a sword. Now, Moses, this right here, and I don't have time to go into this, but what I'm going to throw out, you go research it yourself. The spirit of intent, the tone that Moses spoke to Pharaoh with here in chapter 5, verse 3, is not the same intent, tone, spirit of intent that he spoke to Pharaoh at the 10th plague. At the 10th plague, he did not say, please. When he matured, he did not ask. He, he told Pharaoh, this is your, you're going to let God's people go. You're, this is, you're going to do this. And it's not because God's going to do something to us, but he's going to do something to you if you don't let his people go. And, in fact, God did do something to the Egyptians when they wouldn't let the people go after all those plagues. He struck their firstborn. So look at the change in Moses' maturity. And we also have to mature. So his conversation was different at the beginning of his ministry than it was at the end, and so should be the case with us. And then verse 4 says, the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you causing the people to neglect their work? Get to your labor. Pharaoh also said, 
Remember, Moses was still, he, he had come back, right? And so then he said, get to your land. He still saw them as slaves, but yet they were free. But God, he, but Pharaoh saw them as slaves. People will see you as slaves even though you're free. People will see you as in bondage even though you're free. Pharaoh also said, look, the people of the land are so numerous, and you would stop them from their labor that the, that day Pharaoh commanded the overseers of the people as well as the foremen, don't continue to supply the people with straw for making bricks as before. They must go and gather straw for themselves, but require the same quota of bricks from them as they were making before. Do not reduce it, for they are slackers. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Impose heavier work on the men. Then they will be occupied with it and not pay attention to deceptive words. So what was Pharaoh doing? He increased the burden upon the people to tire them so they wouldn't pay attention to Moses. Now, Pharaoh thought Moses' words were deceptive because he saw, he saw the Israelites as enemies to be captured, contained, and conquered. So anything that spoke contrary to Pharaoh's will, he called deceptive. You know it like this. We call lie a truth and truth a lie. And we see it playing out here. This is not new. So the overseers and the foremen of the people went out and said to them, this is what Pharaoh said. I'm not giving you straw. Go get straw yourselves whenever you can, wherever you can find it, but there will be no direct reduction at all in your workload. So the people scattered throughout the land to gather the stubble for the straw. The overseers insisted, finish your assigned work each day, just as you did when the straw was provided for you. Then the Israelite foremen, whom Pharaoh's slave drivers had set over the people, were beaten. So now they got not only additional work, not only was their work made harder, but now the overseers, the leaders, were getting beaten, physically beaten, broke down, brutally treated. And the Pharaoh's slave driver says, verse 14, why haven't you finished making your prescribed number of bricks to yesterday or today as you did before? So the Israelite foremen went in and cried out for help to Pharaoh. Did they cry to Moses? No. They cried to Pharaoh, the one that was forcing the labor. And they said, why are you treating your servants this way? No straw has been given to your servants, yet you say this, make bricks. Look, your servants are being beaten, but it is your own people who are at fault. But he said, you were slackers, slackers. That is why you were saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must produce the same quantity of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce the daily quota of the bricks. In other words, they weren't able to meet the quotas. They weren't able to do it. It wasn't even a matter of want. It was they were physically, mentally unable to keep pace with the quota when they had to do their own work to make the bricks. And then it goes on to say here, 19, the Israelite foreman saw that they were in trouble when they were told you cannot reduce the daily quota of bricks. When they left Pharaoh, they confronted Moses. Now the Israelites are confronting Moses and Aaron. And this is what they said. He said, 
who stood, and actually, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because Moses and Aaron didn't run. Leaders don't run. They stood there and took what the people had to say because the people weren't wrong. They were being beaten. They were being brutalized. They were being tyrannized. They were physically being exhausted. They were exasperated. They were in pain. And they stood and they confronted Moses who stood waiting to meet them. May the Lord... They didn't say, oh, make an appointment with my secretary. They didn't say, well, you need to go see this. No, they went right to Moses and Aaron and said, may the Lord take, listen, and it wasn't even nice. They said, may the Lord take note of you and judge. They said to him, because you have made us reek to have, you made us reek a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hand to kill us. So Moses went back to the Lord. And ask, Lord, why have you caused trouble for this people? And why did you ever send me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has caused trouble for this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Exodus 6, 9, Moses told the people about God's plan to deliver them, rescue them, redeem them, take them as his own, give them a land. And the Israelites did not listen. Why? Because the last time they listened to Moses uh, or Moses and Aaron intervened on their behalf, it got harder for them. It didn't get easier. And the Bible says that they, that they, that they had a, a broken spirit. They had a broken spirit. Now, I don't know, you know, when we talk about a broken spirit, there's brokenness and, and there's a, a broken spirit that we could talk about rebellion and pride. And my, my thinking is that an unhealed, broken spirit will lead to pride, and it will lead to arrogance. Why? Because all of us have a need to be whole and to survive. And when we're constantly challenged, see, the Israelites' will was being challenged. Not simply their mind, guys, but their feelings and their will. They had a, a will, and their will was being broken. And Moses and Aaron made it worse, not knowing the whole scheme of things, but going to Pharaoh initially, they made the experience of the Israelites worse. And so what happens when you have a broken spirit? Before it gets to, before it gets to pride, because I do believe that there is a, 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 a point in time where a person is broken. Where a person, uh, where if you're if you if you're abused, if you have experienced abuse, there is a there there's something in you that gets broke. When someone who's you're supposed to trust um, uh, oversteps your boundaries, there's a breaking that happens. And when that continuously happens, then you'll have a broken spirit. You'll have a victim mindset. You'll have a hurtful mindset. This is in the beginning. This is before it waxes over to pride, strong, can't receive help from anybody, can't ask for help. It's well before it gets there. When you're talking about somebody that's unable to ask for help, when you're talking about somebody that's unable to, um, to, to do something another way than perhaps they want to do it, when you have someone who has to be right, 
when you have someone who has to be first, when you have someone that is, is arrogant, those are a sign of pride. But before it gets to that, I believe people are broken. People, I mean, we're born in sin, and the Bible says all that's in the world is left of the flesh, left of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, if somebody breaks your flesh, if someone just destroys your ability to see and feel emotionally, what comes next? Pride. So what am I saying? I'm saying that the Israelites, I'm not saying they weren't proud. I'm not saying they didn't rebel because the Bible clearly says that. What I'm saying is in this verse early on, the reason why they didn't listen is given to us in chapter 5. And that's some of our challenge right now. When you have hurt people or um, done a disservice to people, and now you're well and you're healed and you're remorseful, you can't just expect that people are going to listen to you or trust you. You have no street credibility. You, you have none. So Moses and Aaron right now, they had no street cred when it came to the Israelites. They didn't perform one miracle. They talked to Pharaoh. And yet, Pharaoh made life harder for the Israelites. That, is that somebody you want to follow? Wow. What I'm trying to suggest here is a level of understanding that the Israelites were a broken people. Slavery breaks you. They felt as they were victims, and they were at the whim of Pharaoh. So they were in this first part of being broken, and that is to make you a victim. Because when you're a victim, there's somebody else to blame. And, and, then, and then what else happened in that verse 9? So not only... Did they feel victimized by Pharaoh? But they also began to distinguish themselves from Moses and Aaron. We're different from you, Moses and Aaron. I don't know what you did over there, but this is what we're here. We can't even trust you, so we're going, we're going after Pharaoh. So they didn't perceive themselves as brothers and the same as Moses and Aaron. And then you read the scripture. We don't have time to open up all that scripture. But if you look at the relationship between Moses and the people of Israel, it was not a harmonious relationship. The Bible says that the people understood God by what he did. Moses understood God by, by how he did, his way. The people of God understood God's will, that he's going to deliver us. Moses understood how he was going to do it. They didn't see themselves the same. Same with, same with uh, Joseph and his brothers. They didn't see themselves like Joseph. They didn't see themselves as his brothers anymore, but he saw them as brothers. Moses saw them as brothers. And then thirdly, they isolated. They didn't want to deal. They didn't want to have anything to do with Moses and Aaron. Nothing. And so what happens when you get isolated? You wax strong in the pain and the hurt and the things that were done to you, and you develop a persona, you put on a mask, because you never allow God to deal with the internal stuff that has happened to you. So the Israelites' willpower was affected. Their willpower, they were in pain. They were not only in physical pain, guys, they were in emotional pain. They were in agony. They were working hard. 
we think working hard, I know somebody, um, a client of mine said, Kim, I'm just a workaholic. And he'll tell me all the things that he's doing. Listen, guys, being a workaholic is not the grace of God. Being a workaholic doesn't bring special brownie points with God. Being a workaholic is like being in bondage. The Israelites were in bondage to work. There's this saying, um, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. God wants to deliver his people from this mentality, me included. I'm with you right here in this. Deliver us from this mentality that the world provides for us, God provides for us, and he's, he'll do it in different ways. But they were in backbreaking work. They were beaten down emotionally. They didn't, they were tired. They were, Pharaoh pressed them to the limit of their endurance. They didn't have a whole lot of hope in Moses or Aaron, not a whole lot of faith at all. They were in brutal conditions. It's hot. In the Middle East, it's hot. They didn't get winters like we get winters. It was hot. There wasn't air conditioning like we had. And so they turned a deaf ear. They could hear no more because they were in pain. And some of us get to that place too. I'm telling you, I get to that place. Why? Because when you're holding the tension between what you see, the hope, your destiny, and the way things are, you must hold the tension in faith, trusting God to bring you through to where he would have you to be. And sometimes holding the tension can be hard. And if you've never held the tension for someone or something that you desire that has not manifest, then the lesson of enduring the contradiction will be yours one day. You must endure the contradiction between what you know to be right what you believe to be right, what God shows you, and how things are. And why do you have to hold and endure the contradiction? Because God needs faith. He needs somebody to believe him, and then he'll need somebody to trust him to work with him through it in the midst of detention. But this is the other thing I wanted to show you, what God did, and the beauty of this. This, again, before it gets to pride, right, I'm just, I'm just slicing out a part of it that everybody that doesn't listen to you isn't necessarily rebellious. Sometimes the underlying issue is one that they've been victimized. They don't have to be a victim, but they've been mistreated. They've been rejected. And if you're going to walk the walk of Christ to straight and narrow, you're going to experience mostly everything that Christ has, not on the scale that he has, but if we're going to fellowship with him, we're going to fellowship in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So we'll experience rejection. We'll experience betrayal. We'll experience people don't believe us. We'll experience all the things. And we're going to experience all the things because we want to do all the stuff. You want to do all the stuff, you got to experience all the things. So this I'm going to just show you in wrapping this up for conversation, two things, how Moses dealt, how, how God had Moses respond. In verse 10, it says, then the Lord spoke to Moses. He didn't go tell Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go from this land. Pause. Now, the last time Moses went, it got rough for the people of Israel. And now God is saying, go back and tell them again. Go say it again. 
They didn't, he didn't listen to me, God. God didn't ask Moses whether Pharaoh listened. He said, go tell them. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, now here's Moses, here's his emotional state. If the Israelites will not listen to me, then how will Pharaoh listen to me? If I can't get my own people to listen to me, how am I going to get people, uh, the Pharaoh who's not even my own people to listen to me? And then he said, since I am such a poor speaker, I am not effective. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not competent in this thing. I don't do this well. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. <laughs> it's almost like God listened, but he just kind of went right on with his program, and he said, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them the command concerning the, both the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of the land. Did God hear Moses' concern? Yup. Did he continue with his program? Yes. Why? Because Ephesians says God is working all things together according to the counsel of his plan. And his plan was to deliver Israel. Just as Moses didn't listen to the people of it, that he didn't respond to the Israelites when they didn't listen to them because of their forced labor, God didn't listen to Moses when he was complaining emotionally and mentally about his, about his inability to do something. So that's how God dealt with Moses. You're going anyway because I told you, and this is what you're going to command. The command doesn't change because of how you feel about yourself. It's not about you. It's about what God is calling for. And then the last scripture I want to show you is this. Up until that point, we don't see, and some of you may correct me if I miss this, but up until, uh, let's see, uh, Exodus 6, 9, when the people didn't listen, until we get to Exodus 12, six chapters later. And what happened in between? In between, God dealt with Pharaoh. He didn't deal with the people because God understood their tiredness, and God understands our tiredness. He understands our weariness. He understands the mistreatment we experience at the hands of others. He's not asking or supporting us becoming victims. He just is acknowledging a situation. And so a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not put out. So he didn't address the Israelites again until we get to the tenth plague. Right? The tenth plague. And this is what the Lord says. The tenth plague was the Passover when God was going to strike the firstborn men and animals. Now, at that tenth plague, and number ten is the culmination of the thing, in that tenth plague, in Exodus 11, he tells Moses what he's going to do. In Exodus 12, he, tell, he tells Moses to tell the Israelites how to prepare. And then he says, Tell, and he goes through this list of instructions, how to prepare for what God is about to do. And then he says, I'm not going to read it all just for take of time, but here's what I do want you to catch. He says, after he tells them how to, what to get for the Passover, what sacrificial animal, how to distribute it if a family's too small, that they're to roast it, not cook it, I mean, not boil it with everything on it and all of that. And you must eat it at twilight. You must eat it in the evening because for the Israelites and in the ancient times, the, the day began at night. And so you must eat this at night. And then he says, 
You must not leave any of it till the morning, morning, any part of it less than till morning. You must burn. And then verse 11 says this, here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hands. You are eat to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So God doesn't deal with the Israelites again until the time of deliverance was at hand. Why? Because they couldn't handle the weight of instruction until God began to reveal himself and strengthen the Israelites by miracle signs and wonders. And that's what miracle signs and wonders do. They strengthen our confidence in God. They're not the end. They were to bring the Israelites to a place of confidence so that when Moses instructed them in chapter 12, the people know God is with this man. Everything Moses and Aaron do, it happens. And so now their faith, their confidence, and their ability to trust Moses was restored. And I want to tell you that when we're talking to people and they're tired, before we conclude that they're just proud, just ask God. Ask God, how would you have me minister to them? Do they need to be built up? Do they need you to do some things through me so that they would be convinced that you are who you say you are and that if I say we're going to do this, we're going to do this. It took ten, it took nine plagues. I don't know why the number nine, but it was more than one, more than three, that God was able to convince the Israelites you can trust Moses. What will it take for people to trust you? What will it take? What will it take for people to trust you? What? What will it take for people to walk and move with you? That's how I would leave it. And then the first question I ask you, as things are happening and unfolding before us, you can try and salvage what you have. Some of it is good. It's not, I'm not, this is not a message of condemnation. It's a message of hope. Whatever God called for in the past, whatever he's called the church to do, whatever anointing he's given on the messages in the church, they still abide. There's still truth. But God has moved on to a new truth. And so we can hold down and hunker down or we can move with God. The choice is for each one of us to make. Amy, you better jump on here before I go on another tangent, which I was about to do. <laughs> you were going on another I just, tangent? <laughs> no, I was. And, you know, part of it is I really didn't. So you know, I, I, usually, I usually have my notes and I'm sitting here and I'm just like I have these bullet points like you and I talk about. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I got to tell them this. Well, what about this? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Anyway, rescue me. Rescue me. Well, I tell you what, you do so well when you, um, <laughs> when God has prepared your heart and you just flow. This is so amazing to hear. I really, I mean, I've heard a lot of what you said, and I don't think I've heard any of what you've said tonight ever, you know, this perspective of looking at the Israelites. Um, I, I hadn't really considered their brokenness or trust or non-trust 
um, as they walked things out, I mean, I think you've really made them more relatable. And, uh, you know, I think we just, it's such a familiar story that it's easy to not see what you've been talking Mm -hmm. about, you know, and even to relate it to where we're at or when we're dealing with people, you know, where are they? Where are they at? Mm-hmm. in their journey with the Lord and and with us and can they trust and what have they been through and to think that there's something that comes, you know, before pride, like a brokenness that's a weariness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is really good. I think I think mm-hmm. we need to open up the time for comments and um I don't know if everyone will be like deer in the headlights. <laughs> so we'll mm-hmm. have none or if we'll get some comments but this is the first time I've I've heard it presented this way or <clears throat> you know even thinking of the fact that it took them nine times to really trust I always just mm-hmm. thought about um, Moses bu- building his character it did that too one event well this is the beauty of God God can use one truth and it's like a one of those bullets that has all these little things in it. It sprays everywhere. So, yes, those plagues and Moses and Aaron having to issue those plagues, like I told you, and I showed you the first time in, in, in Exodus 5 when he went to Pharaoh, he almost got laughed at. But also Moses was asking for something God told him to command. <laughs> well, we ask for God what God told us to command we're likely going to be looked at just like Moses. Who do you think you are? And I don't even believe you're God anyway because Moses didn't have the confidence. But by the 10th plague, you best assure he was not playing. He's like, look, this is what's going to happen. Now let the people go. So he was building his confidence too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And trusting what God Our was saying. Growth. That's right. Our emotional growth, our mental growth is not separate from the call and the destiny that God has on our lives. It's not separate. And God is concerned about our, I'm sorry, God is concerned about our emotional well-being. But in the church, we focus on the mind. And the thing people don't want to deal with is the hurt and the pain. Well, you know, and the thing is, as you had mentioned, the mind of course, we will always need to be renewing our mind. But missing the point, like that doesn't change, that's the truth. But missing mm-hmm. the point that right now the strategy of the enemy is to get to our emotion first. Now it's like getting to us even before we have time to think, you yep. know? Like yep. before yep. it was more of a control of emotion. But now anxiety's rampant. Yep. Depression's rampant. But on top of that, we're so visual. You know, we're we're seeing things all day long that pull at our heartstrings. And it's so easy to get pulled into emotion. And so to me, it's connected to the mind, right? But it's like he's coming at us at a different different. angle. He's coming differently. It's a vulnerable place. And, you know, it's always been there. But now it's like rampant. It's rampant right now. And and so, like you said, the truth of the battle of the mind, that's still true. It's just right now in this season, man, our emotions are getting hit for sure. Yep. And, and you've been teaching on that. You know, I, I know that I, as I've watched things unfold 
whether I know they're true or not, because that's the other side of it, knowing whether it's really happening or not happening. You know, I really take a check with my emotion and bring them to the Lord. Yep. But I want to open the line. Star six, does anyone have any comments or questions? Because this is definitely new. Yeah. I I have a couple of comments on this. Uh, uh, I was just thinking um, about all the different things that were going on in Genesis 5 and 6, and and then you you said they got to the 10th commandment. You know, um, then then they came they came out they came out of the land. Uh, you know, they came out across the Red Sea, and three days after they crossed the Red Sea, they went right back to where they had been before. You know, they were ready to kill Moses. They didn't have any water, you know, and what are we going to do? And uh, and and it just went on like that with them. They they regressed completely back to the point where God had to kill all of them in the desert except the fam- fam- families of uh, Joshua and Caleb. And even Aaron, even Aaron became affected by it when Moses mm-hmm. went up on the mountain. You know, he came mm-hmm. back down. When, when he came back down, Aaron had made a golden calf. The people had brought the gold, and, uh, you know, he said to him, you know, he said, the people brought the gold, and we threw it in this fire, and out came this calf. I mean, it was ridiculous. And, I mean, you know, it just, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, but it, it, it had, it was ingrained in them, you know. I mean, they never really came out of Egypt. Egypt stayed right. inside of them, the bondage and the slavery, and it made me think of what Jesus went through, all all the miracles, all the signs, all the wonders, the raising of the dead. And yet, when it came to to uh, that time, it was crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And he said, mm-hmm. you know, over Jerusalem, he said, you've missed the time of your visitation, how I would have mm-hmm. gathered you under my wings, you know, how I wanted, but now... You've missed that. It's gone from you. And the next mm-hmm. 2,000 years they spent, you know, uh, you know, until they came back into the land in 1948, you know. And, um, mm-hmm. and one other quick thing, that thing about Jericho, one of the things that made that so awful to God was that Jericho was the first fruits of the land. And everything that belonged in Jericho was the tie that belonged to God. And when Mm -hmm. they did that, they robbed God of that tie. They robbed him of the first fruits. And that's why that thing became so so adamant with the Mm -hmm. Lord and and, and the Mm -hmm. judgment so strong on Achan and his family, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that, we can see it. I mean, the Israelites, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. <laughs> and so, exactly. You know, exactly, but, yeah. but also, I think that's just such a lesson as well, because when God delivers us from anything, yep. we are out of it, but it is not out of us. And so it's like the child who gets in a puddle of water, and the mom says, get out the water. And the child gets out of the puddle of water. They're free from the water, but the water's in them. It's on them. It's in their clothes. And so, or the mud or whatever have you. And so there is a, there's a twofold, if I could say it this way, cleansing process. There is us needing to be removed from something, 
But then also us needing to be cleansed from something. And so I think that's Mm. a real important point because in, in the wilderness, the wilderness was designed to accommodate, accomplish that cleansing, but also yeah. to transfer their allegiance from their oppressor to their God. And many of them didn't. Yeah. They were calling slop, like gourmet food. No, it was slop. You were slaves. That was not gourmet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amen. You know, and, yeah, yeah. And they talked about how well-fed they were and stuff. They were starved. They were beaten. They were, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know. But, you know, I had to I had the same experience in my life. I was a smoker for decades, and I quit one time for eight years, but I never lost the desire for it. I thought about it all the time. I dreamed about it. You know, I, uh, I just, I wanted to smoke, but I, I forced myself not to, you know, by, by just willpower, but it never left me. And I eventually ended up falling back into it. And it wasn't until I discovered some other things later on in life that I was able to put it away and it has no draw on me anymore. You know, mm. but, uh, you know, it, uh, mm-hmm. but it, <laughs> it can, it can mm. claim to you, you know, I mean, if you, you yeah. know, especially, well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, praise God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That's such a powerful testimony, Rich. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I got my, that, you know, I, I journey, you know. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, you know, uh great great teaching uh as as always. Thank you, Kim. Um mm-hmm. I'm thinking of what you were saying about uh you know, I'm trying to understand where people are at, you know, they may not receive you or receive what you're saying or what have you and and I and I clearly understand that people are at different places have encountered different things and you know uh and in this day and age god only knows what some of the things people have gone through uh as as insane as some of the things that are going on mm-hmm. but then would you say there's a flip side and what i'm what i'm getting getting to is the fact you have a lot of people that and you talked about being a victim, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the victim, the victimization, and the traumas, and and all of that sort of thing. And there's, I believe, truly, that's legitimate in many cases. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you have a lot of people that what what I've gone through, what I've gone through, and it's almost like they want to be pampered, yeah. and it's 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 an I don't know if you would say it's the new generation or if it's just the the age we're in where mm-hmm. they don't want to go through anything. They complain about everything and you don't understand and what I've gone through and what I've gone through. And, and in reality, there's many times with what they've gone through is been more made up in their head than what they've actually gone through. If you can follow what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I really think that obviously it takes some discernment and the wisdom of God in each yes. each case. I, I don't believe that, you know, one size fits all in any particular right. uh, manner. Yep. So I think, mm-hmm. so would you say that's also on the flip side? Yes. I, obviously, we're dealing with pride in this world um, at, I mean, on steroids. And even in the church, 
And as you know, you know, and you know, we've been doing this for a while, you know that we are very slow to prescribe one answer for everybody. But I do believe that the truth impacts everybody, however different. So, for instance, um, as I was praying the other day, I was praying with God, I just feel, I feel like I'm fault-finding. I'm just feeling really critical and something, this comes up. I don't want to do that. And and I had to really deal with pride, you know, just, wow, I, boy, this, this, this could be ugly. I don't want to be like this. I don't want this to grow. And then as I, I and so I, I confess uh, pride to the Lord, and then as I walk back and look at, God, where did this come from? And it, and for me, it came from, I'm tired. I'm, I'm just press, press, press. Okay, hurry up and wait. And, you know, I'm, I'm just in this place of holding tension and not really relating to God or discussing it with God, but just over time, just the resentment or whatever is just building. And that's just pride. And, and it's just a stench to God. So I can see where tiredness, weakness, pain, difficulty, it can lead us to become very, very um, callous, very critical, very sarcastic. And I, I'll tell my clients all the time, sarcasm is veiled anger. It's veiled contempt. It's not funny. And so I have to, you know, that's where I was the other day. The other day. And then I go to church and they teach on pride. How does that even work, God? <laughs> How does that even work? <laughs> And so it was just really interesting. So I agree with you. Yes, I do think that there's there are people that in, in the world and in the church that, you know, you repent from pride. You get healed from a wound. And there's different. I mean, the Bible says a bruised reed, God will not break, a smoking flax he won't put out. So it goes back to what I was saying before. We need to ask more questions before we just, you know, rattle off our remedy or our scriptures. Because we don't know how long has this person been in this condition. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, she was in that condition, I think, 18 years. And yet she had not waxed hard. She was still able to receive Jesus. Kim, let me just so. say something because I, I totally relate to what you're saying because I've cried out to the Lord and I've gotten angry at myself. Thinking, mm-hmm. Lord, what's, you know, I felt critical. What yeah. am I, am I, do I have a critical spirit? And, and it's come into where I'm seeing a lot of it's been leadership. Mm-hmm. And then I saw something today. I, I briefly mentioned it during prayer time. I saw something that Mario Murillo put out and he was naming people, prophets, well-known. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. uh, he played clips of I had never heard of it of the crazy stuff they're saying. Wow! And mm-hmm. now I mean, uh, I'm just going to say it. What's her name? Uh, what's her name? Kit Carr or what? what I forgot what her uh-huh. name is. Um, the purple hair. Okay. She's saying okay. that mm-hmm. she sees cows driving trucks in heaven and things are made out of jello. I'm like, are you serious? And (laughs) wacko stuff of some of these. um, He called out Robin Bullock. He called out Julie Green. I mean, I I was at first, I was a little bit grieved because I had heard him say something about someone else. And I said, gosh, Lord, am I doing the same thing? And come to find out, and he had an interview, and he said, I would love to speak with them. 
we have it wrong. And I do believe this. When you look at the prophets in, 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 in the scripture, they didn't talk about, you know, your, your mansions and your cars and, you know, you're going to go around the world and, you know, you're going to have this mega ministries and, you know, and that's much of it. And you, they, they dealt with the issues of the day. They pinpointed yeah. what, the wrong. They yeah. would encourage people, but it's a far cry from what we see typically. And then the yeah. other thing I started questioning myself, you know, we see, we see believers. We see people that call themselves believers, whether they're, uh, they do well in business, whether they're in ministries, whatever the case may be, they call themselves believers. And we know, well, at least for me, you say you're a believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what else? You know, what does that mean? That doesn't say right. a whole lot to me. You know, so, right. and I don't mean to say that arrogantly, but I'm just saying you can say you're anything, but what does that mean? Right. And so right. when we, and I heard a message that's really been, uh, really kind of stuck with me. We keep silent. We don't say anything, and we never bring anything up. We never. And I'm not saying that we have to do it in a nasty way. We have to do it, you know, to beat somebody over the head. But we always feel, well, we shouldn't say anything. That's not our place. If it's mm-hmm. not us as believers, and I don't know where you're at as a, 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 in, if you say you're a believer, but if there's something not right and right. your conduct is substandard from what you're supposed to be, I'm, and, mm-hmm. and especially if there's a pattern of that, mm-hmm. shouldn't we say something? And, you know, so all these things I've been, you know, just asking internally. And I've been yeah. saying, Lord, forgive me. You know, I, you know, the pride, you know, God, if I've been presumptuous, I've been arrogant. If I, you know, I'm, I'm beating myself up. Right. And so right. I, I totally understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I'm hearing some messages. We are to be, we are to speak up. There's a way yeah. to do it. There's a way to go about it. And not that you're trying to tear anybody down. But mm-hmm. when we say silent, and even when you don't, cons- when you don't con- conduct yourself in, in, in integrity and keep mm-hmm. your word, that's problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and we as a, as a church have kept silent about a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sorry, but I, I, I feel what you're saying because I found myself there, too. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Kathy. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It is important to talk more. It it really is. And, you know, have the dialogue that we aren't having. So I think that is really important. And mm-hmm. let me go ahead and give play for anyone who needs to, to hop off. Tonight's call number is 275-POUND. And uh, the number for replay is 605-475-4980, followed by 341-000-POUND. And again, tonight is 275-POUND. Kim? I am good. I, I'm good. If everybody else is good, I'm good. I... I uh... Yeah, I'm good. I am good. Well, thanks everyone for for participating tonight. I think this is another one, Kim, we're going to need to listen to again because it was full of of, um, truth. 
and just patterns, you know, ways of looking mm-hmm. at the patterns of truth and um, mm-hmm. being Richard and Patsy and good, really good conversation. So thank you, everyone. And we will look forward to hearing you guys next week. God bless you and good night.